it's, it's inspiring every day to be there to watch my staff and to watch our clients and where my office is situated is at a corner. And so when a new client is just learning how to use a white cane, their lessons are indoors in our building. And, you know, those first couple of days, I hear their fear and they want to know, is the instructor right there? And, and then within a couple of weeks, I start hearing them laughing and they kind of, you know, they start joking about getting turned around and they, you know, there's just, there's joy is starting to reemerge and hope. And then you just watch them. And the next thing you know, I see them when I get to work, they're out, they're having their class outside now because they've gotten that confidence and now they're doing some lessons navigating outdoors. And so to just, I get to witness that on a daily basis and I just feel really blessed and fortunate. Welcome to the Nonprofit Podcast Network. Our purpose and passion is to highlight a nonprofit organization in each episode, giving that organization an opportunity to tell their story in their words to better inform and educate the respective communities they serve, as well as provide one more tool for them to share their message to constituents and donors. Hi, I'm Jeff Holden, Principal of Multipoint Content Strategies and Hear Me Now Studio. We provide this forum pro bono to help build stronger communities through shared voices and to both encourage and support the growth of local nonprofit organizations through podcasting. What if you woke up one morning and the lights wouldn't come on? You had to feel your way around the house, to the restroom, to the kitchen. What if you could no longer drive to work and you had to walk, blindfolded, and your business card was something you felt, not read? Actually, what if you were blind? I'm sitting with Sherry Raisler, Executive Director of Society for the Blind, which provides education and services to people who are low vision and blind in a 27-county region. Prior to joining Society for the Blind, she served as Executive Director of St. Anthony Foundation, one of the largest nonprofit social service agencies in San Francisco, and served for nine years as the Vice President of Resource Development for the West Region of Mercy Housing. Sherry has a B.A. in Social Work, Sociology, and Criminal Justice from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a Master's in Ethics, Bioethics from Santa Clara University, Jesuit School of Theology. She's a lecturer at University of San Francisco and President of the Board for the California Agencies of the Blind and Visually Impaired. She's also Secretary of the Board of Directors for Vision Serve Alliance, a national association of agencies serving people with vision loss. Sherry's a member of the Equity Cabinet for Leading Age California, and she was recently appointed to the Aging and Disabilities Resource Advisory Committee for the California Department of Aging. She enjoys sports and fitness, including cycling, pickleball, and golf. She holds a second-degree black belt in Kenpo and has developed a self-defense program for people with vision loss called Kane Fu. Sherry, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. Before we begin the conversation about the organization, could you please help us understand what constitutes blindness today? Sure, Jeff. And again, thank you for having me. And when it comes to vision loss and blindness, there's actually a couple of different terms that we talk about. So when we think of legal blindness, for example... That is a definition that is used by state and federal governments to determine eligibility for vocational rehabilitation services, which is what Society for the Blind offers. 
for disability benefits and for low vision devices. And so 2200 is the baseline threshold for visual acuity, so how well you can see to qualify as legally blind. So that would mean that somebody who is 2020 vision can see 200 feet what somebody who's legally blind can only see from 20 feet. So mm-hmm. obviously the other determination of legal blindness is that your field of vision is 20 degrees or less. So it's kind of like looking through a straw. So again, it's that narrowing. So people with retinitis pigmentosa, they lose their visual field versus it getting fuzzy from visual acuity. So that's legal blindness. When we talk about vision loss, what we're talking about is that the loss of either your visual acuity, how clearly you can see, or your vision field is uncorrectable with a lens or contact lenses or glasses. And then it starts to impact your ability to carry out your activities of daily living. So it's about your functional ability to do things. And that's what we really deal with and help people with at Society for the Blind. Thank you. That was a great explanation. Thank you. How many people are considered blind in our region? So, again, we're going to use that broader term of people with low vision or blindness. And very conservatively, we'd say it's about 10% of the region's population. It's probably far greater than that, but it's something that has to be self-reported. There isn't some Mm. registry. And so, again, it's how we can best extrapolate from data we do have to say how many people have vision loss. As a result of the understanding of the significance of impaired vision, vision loss, and lack of ability to really function properly Mm -hmm. without support. Can you weave that into a history of the organization, how it came to be and where it is today? Sure. So Society for the Blind was established in 1954, and it was a group of individuals who were blind who wanted to come together really around being having a social place to come together. And as they started to gather and created this formal organization, they also had the support of local Lions Clubs. And that's why around the country you'll see in other societies for the blind or lighthouses for the blind. And that's because many of our agencies were established in the 1950s, and many of us had local Lions Clubs to help get them going. And so that's the history there. And, and the Lions Clubs got so involved because at their first international conference, Helen Keller was their keynote speaker. Wow. And she closed her remarks by charging the Lions to be knights for the blind. And so vision and sight organizations like Society for the Blind have always been one of the core philanthropic focuses for Lions Clubs. So Society for the Blind, as I said, was established initially to be a social gathering Quickly, the folks who started it saw that there was a need for folks to learn blindness skills or non-visual skills, using the white cane to get around, Mm. learning Braille. Those were really the two key things at People First. And so that's how the educational piece got established. And then that was more formalized. 20 years after it was established, our low vision clinic was opened. And today it remains the region's only comprehensive low vision rehabilitation clinic We serve 27 counties. And then over the years, we've added many other classes. So we have what we call now our four core blindness courses. So the white cane travel, which is called orientation and mobility, braille and communications, assistive technologies, 
and then independent living skills. So everyone who comes in learns those skills as part of what they do. And then we have myriad support groups and other activities that we do to complement it. And we provide all of these based on age categories, whether it's youth and children, working age adults, which is 17 to 55, or those over 55, which would be in our senior program. Wow. (laughs) I I mean, that's so many elements Mm -hmm. to service not only the community as we think about it, our small geographic area, but 27 counties. For the benefit of people who aren't quite sure what that means, can you identify it by me city from north to south, east to west? Sure. So if you think of from, say, Vacaville mm-hmm. all the way to the Oregon border, and then we go over, we serve some clients over towards the Stockton, Lodi, down that way. And then we also serve folks up in Mendocino County and that area. So it's kind of that broad swath of northern California that we serve. Boy, and we serve a, about between 5,500 and 6,000 people a year. That is a huge territory. It is. <laughs> How do they get from point A to point B, or do you necessarily have to service them physically at the location? We're able to do both. So we obviously see a lot of people at our center here in Sacramento, but we also go out to the clients. And so we provide in-home training and services We go to community centers, senior residential communities, and so we're able to do that. And then we can do remote education and training as well. So there's kind of three prongs that we can use in order to reach folks. What a beneficial service to be able to join them in their home. Yes. When it's such a debilitating situation in many cases. You mentioned a variety of programs. Clearly there are numerous programs You have programs for teens to seniors, I heard there, career-oriented programs to the full-service clinic, and a few others that we'll talk about in in a couple minutes. Can you walk through the key programs of the organization just for the benefit of us to understand the, again, the scope of service Mm -hmm. that's available? Sure. So I'll start with the youngest and work our way up. So for our children and youth, we have what's called our Careers Plus Youth Program. And we currently serve children from elementary school through high school, early college years, the bulk of them being middle school, high school. The focus there is their academic development, making sure that they have the resources both at their school and then through work and programs we run for an after school so that the children can make sure that they're reading at or near grade level, that they're learning Braille, which is a critical literacy skill for children with vision loss and blindness is learning Braille. It makes a world of difference in how they do. And can I ask you, just as an aside there, what's the difficulty or the challenge by comparison, let's say, to a non-vision impaired student learning to read Mm -hmm. by comparison to learning Braille? So a lot of it has to do with how we learn about our world. Little children to one-year-old, two-year-old, they're watching what we do and they mimic what we do. Mm. They know how people feel by facial expressions. When you don't have that sort of visual input, you then have to adapt and learn how you teach young people all those things, how to listen, you know, voice intonation. There are books called Twin Readers, and so that's for the parent and child. So if the child is blind, there's Braille print, and it's also overlaid over regular print, So it can be read to the child and they can follow along. There's a lot of tactile things written in those books, like what does fur feel like or, you know, rough. And 
And then likewise, if the parent is blind, but their child is sighted, they can still use that same book. Mm -hmm. And so how children learn and grasp information has to come to them differently. And so we're there to both support the parents and the child in their education and learning, and then also to support whatever, you know, they're able to get through their school system and make sure that, you know, we can continue to add into that. You know, a lot of the teachers of the visually impaired are aging out and not a lot of folks are going into that profession. And Mm -hmm. so then agencies like Society for the Blind, we have to step up and be providing some of those additional services. And so that's what we do. For the middle school, high school age kids, now we're looking at, okay, how do we get them ready to go out into the world and be independent? And so we help them learn how to prepare for their first job interview, how to show up, dress for success, you know, how to date, how to get ready, how to all those things that we all need to learn. And so we bring in other professionals and individuals who are blind and low vision to share their own experiences and serve as mentors. Our, a bunch of our kids right now, they're doing podcasts. So it's called I Can Pod. And two of our faculty help these kids put together podcasts. So there's, again, wonderful c- career avenues for our, for our young people. And then helping them learn about college and getting them on college tours. Sacramento State has a Braille campus map. So there's all different things that, you know, we want the kids and their parents to dream big. Don't dream small. There's nothing they can't do. They're just going to learn to do it differently. So that's our youth. For our working age adults, now we're looking at individuals, most of whom come to us through the California Department of Rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And these are individuals who are either working and want to retain their jobs, but they're having vision loss, or individuals who are blind who need to find employment. And so they're taking those four core courses that we teach. And then as they get proficient in those non-visual skills, learn the assistive technologies, we then start moving towards, okay, what what is your career interest? What are you looking at? And helping them start to refine their, their resumes, do mock interviews, so they can actually pursue those goals and find employment. And then for our seniors, it's about aging actively. Seniors want to stay active. They want to travel. They want to stay in their own home for as long as possible, wherever home is. Mm -hmm. And so we want to work with them on being able to carry out all their activities of daily living safely. There's a lot of talking devices today that can assist, whether it's a label reader for medication, talking glucometers and blood pressure, you name it, it's out there. And so it's really for us helping seniors be able to stay independent and be safely independent as they get older. I will offer, if there's ever any interest, an opportunity for the youth who are doing podcasts, I would love to have them do something in here. Fantastic. I don't we know would if they love to do that. use professional studio or not, but to bring them in here would be so fun. Yeah, we would love to do that. And I bet you their content is great. Yes. You know, let's talk for a minute about the person who suddenly finds themselves with vision loss. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be from a disease or an accident, but either way, it's traumatic. Is there a place for this person in the very early awareness of their life change in Society for the Blind? Absolutely. In fact, the sooner people get in when they experience vision loss or get a diagnosis, the better. And as we always say, we meet people where they are. And, you know, getting a diagnosis or having a sudden vision loss, it is traumatic. It is life-changing. And, you know, as we say, Blindness and vision loss is a low-incidence, high-impact condition. Mm-hmm. It's actually the third most feared health crisis in the United States behind cancer and paralysis. 
And so when people come in in those early stages or early days of vision loss, you know, one, we can provide a lot of counseling and support because half of our staff are blind and low vision and they've lost their vision in myriad ways. And so they immediately are going to be with people who get it, mm-hmm. who understand the emotional impact. And that whole adjustment to blindness piece is critical because as we, as any of us know, it's hard to learn or take in new information when you're emotionally suffering. And so we also partner with Hope Counseling Center and they have professional therapists who also work with our clients and help them walk through those those stages. And we also support family members and caregivers. It's so important. And then they can get on with learning those skills and beginning to, you know, adjust to the vision loss and begin to learn the skills that's going that will help them continue to flourish. I'm sure that that trauma initially is mitigated as process as they go through what mm-hmm. they need to learn to understand that this is not a life-ending situation, but it really is just a different way to proceed through life. Right. Sherry, you mentioned your low vision clinic a little bit earlier. Can you give us a little bit of an understanding of how that works mm-hmm. for somebody who has an interest, doesn't have the ability, whether insurance, whatever the case may be, how the low vision clinic serves that person in need? Mm-hmm. Sure. Great, thanks. So the low vision clinic is um, it's a referral source for the entire region. And so all the major healthcare systems, we're certified for the VA and other entities, refer the patients to us. And so these are individuals who all have a diagnosis of some degenerative eye condition, whether it's glaucoma, age-related macular degeneration, mm-hmm. star guards, you name it. And so when they come into our clinic, the first thing they'll do is they'll have a low vision evaluation by one of our doctors. And so we have two optometrists and they specialize in low vision. So they've done a residency in low vision eye care. So they're going to meet with that patient. It's generally an hour and a half examination. So much longer than comprehensive, the usual one. And so, you know, there's different testing that they do. They're going to talk with the patient about, you know, where they're at and also then start introducing what devices might assist them so that usually they still have some functional vision, meaning some vision that they can still use. And so as they come in for their low vision evaluation, as I was saying, it was it's generally about an hour and a half evaluation. So they're going to exam, examine the patient. The doctor identifies where they have scotomas or blind spots in their eye. And based on that, they will refer the patient to our occupational therapists mm-hmm. and who then work with the patient on how to use their functional vision that remains, the part of their eye that still can see, how to use that, various techniques that they train them on so that they can, if they want to continue reading or be able to get around their kitchen using their remaining sight, they can do that, but also be able to make a good judgment about when they need to rely on their non-visual skills. And we also introduce the assistive devices. There are electronic handheld magnifiers, other magnification devices, and other simple tools and things that a patient can use in their home to help identify appliances or plugs on the wall, things like that, high contrast color. Mm -hmm. So that's how the low vision clinic is going to work with patients. And so, as I like to say, our clinic is a continuum of care for our healthcare providers. So ophthalmologists who have patients, and there's a point at which the vision isn't going to improve. And in fact, it's probably going to deteriorate. That's the time to 
get the patient over to us and perhaps even much sooner than that so that they're already familiar and then they can go into our programs and get that holistic care that they deserve. Surely there's a spectrum of some sort mm-hmm. of vision loss. Is there a point that you do or you don't deal with somebody or is it diagnosed when they come in and at that point the decision is made how to best proceed or move forward? When somebody comes to us, even if they've just Maybe they just got a diagnosis that they have age-related macular degeneration, but they're really Mm -hmm. not experiencing any loss of vision, but they are being proactive. And that client comes in and said, I really want to start learning Braille or I want to learn something. We're going to get them started. So it's, you know, when the patient is ready, Mm -hmm. we're going to be there. We've covered a lot that is currently in play for the organization. And you touched on it in the conversation about the, the clinic, but... So much technology is coming out today. The the advancement of everything in every facet. Can you share a little bit about what you're seeing on your end, especially mm-hmm. since you mentioned we're aging out people to service with vision impairment? Mm-hmm. Yes, Jeff, you, you really hit on a very important point, and that is the advancements in technology. As I mentioned, half of our staff are blind or have low vision, and mm-hmm. many will say that the you know the iPhone was the best thing since Braille when that first came out, and that's been, what, 15-ish years mm-hmm. now. And, you know, so your smartphones have really blown it open. They've been accessible from day one, the apps that are out there. So that has, you know, gone leaps and bounds. They're probably today the newest thing on the market are wearables. So glasses, like you and I are wearing glasses, and they have a small camera on the side, and they work with Bluetooth. And what they do is... You know, if I'm holding up my papers with all the questions that you have for me, I click a button on the side, it takes an image of that, and it starts reading to me everything that's on this piece of paper. And today, they've now added, as we've all heard about the chatbot, Mm -hmm. the artificial intelligence that's built in, I could say, summarize the document for me. So rather than reading it to me verbatim, it will just summarize to me what the document is about. And so for somebody to work a job, to be able to do something. These wearables allow them to keep their employment or find employment because they're able to read any document they need to read. None of this is covered by insurance currently, so, you know, there are price points to be considered. Handheld magnifiers are another, and video magnifiers. They're small devices about the size of your iPhones, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bigger. Very portable, so you can take those if you want to read a book, you want to read a menu. It magnifies. It can change the background color. Some people need a darker background with maybe blue with yellow font. So it has all different ways that you can manipulate the text that you're reading. And then larger devices called CCTVs Mm -hmm. would have both your screen, but now most of them both come with a camera attached. So if a student is in a classroom and they have the camera feature, They can take a picture of whatever on the whiteboard, and they will instantly have whatever the instructor is putting up there, same as any other peer in their class. And then in addition, they have built-in text-to-speech software. So that means a lot of folks with vision issues, their eyes fatigue, and so trying to keep reading becomes a real strain, could cause headaches. So they can switch to the text-to-speech. So now it's just going to read everything to them that is on the screen. And so these are just, you know some of the technology that is out there, but it is, it's a game changer and it's opening up employment and career prospects that, you know, 20 years ago would have seemed unimaginable. It's incredible because you don't think about the iPhone not being vision impaired 
it's a great device. Mm -hmm. But what it's done for people who are, I can only imagine, because it speaks to you and it responds to you. And now with ChatGPT and everything else, I, I can just see the opportunities that it's going to open for people with disabilities of all sorts, but especially vision. So we teach, you know, classes on how to turn on the accessible features on your phone. There's, you know, swiping motions and, you know, all different things that you use when those accessibility features are turned on. Yeah, that are just incredible. How far can we be from an implant in the brain that creates vision of some sort that's just all part of the process? Based on how fast GPT is growing, probably not that far. (laughs) So... I'm sure we're going to have people not involved with Society for the Blind who are going to benefit from listening to this conversation, but there's still another service that you offer that I thought was so neat as I was reading through the information about Society for the Blind, and that's the retail store. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you think retail store for a nonprofit, it's a thrift store of sorts or clothes and people donate, not unlike a Goodwill, but yours is really unique and very, very different. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's just such a benefit, not only the community, but for the people who need to use the store specifically. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. So our retail store is actually a partnership. So it's operated by North State Assistive Technology, and they provide assistive devices and materials and whatnot for people all over Mm -hmm. the state. And when and this store is open to the public, so it is, yes, primarily clients that use them, but anyone can come in and, and get products there. And again, they sell everything from talking watches, which are very, very important, talking alarm clocks. We have talking calculators, and we have various cooking devices and cookware that are helpful in the kitchen for, you know, labeling your spices and things like that. We also have, as I mentioned, the CCTVs, all the Mm -hmm. various handheld devices, something that very practical that folks use are something called bump dots. And they come in, you know, circular shapes and squares and different sizes and different colors. And it's just a very simple, practical way to mark the on and off devices on Uh an appliance. So not everyone is able to read Braille or if they have neuropathy in their fingers, they're not going to be able to feel the Braille. And so bump dots become a fantastic, simple way to mark like I said, light switches, outlets, or appliances. Help me understand just a little bit more what what it is. How I, I get it. it's a it's a it's bump just dot. a simple like plastic rubberish like feeling those little bumper things you little, put on your doors. Little circular, you know, device, a little circular sticker uh-huh. that you put on, or you, like I said, it can be like a little square if you want different shapes to delineate things. Okay, and so if I two would be push the button up, that's the on, and one would be down, you feel where it is, and you just wouldn't Yeah, know. you use a circular one for on and a square for off. Okay. Yeah. Even better, you use one less. Of course, I would get that incorrect. But let's begin to close on a very serious note, and that's mm-hmm. the funding. Mm-hmm. This is a very well-tenured organization. You have a significant staff. You have a lot of service in a very big geographic area, and obviously that doesn't come cheaply. How do you receive your funding? So we have a mix of funding, and I mentioned earlier the working-age adults come through the California Department of Rehabilitation, and so they they pay a fee for service for clients to come in based on the classes and the number of length of time that they're there. So that's one source of funding. For our senior program, we're funded about not quite half of our funding for that program comes through a federal grant. 
called the Older Individuals Who Are Blind. It's a mm-hmm. Title VII grant. And then the Low Vision Clinic, as we have contracts with the healthcare systems, all the various HMOs and insurance providers, the VA, and so Medicare, Medi-Cal. So when patients come in, they'll use insurance. And then the bulk, probably half, close to half of our funding is through fundraising. And so, you know, the generous individuals in our community, grants from corporations and foundations support the organization. And so that's how we're able to provide all the services that we do. What are some of the events or are there any fundraising events is probably a better way to phrase that, that you do? Yes. In fact, one of the programs we we haven't mentioned because it's brand new, it's as our Braille production and training program. It's breaking news. It is breaking news. Fantastic. So we recently acquired another nonprofit in Sacramento, and we've taken over now and um, are going to be producing Braille, you know, textbooks, manuals, business cards, other material. And in addition, it's going to be an employment program because folks can become certified Braille transcribers as well as learn the sales and production side of, of doing that. So we're excited both for being able to provide Braille in our region, mm-hmm. but also to create another employment venue. We're doing an open house for that program on April 27th. It's housed in the Sierra 2 Community Center. And, and then upcoming is the Big Day of Giving on May 4th. And the Braille program is going to be our focus for the Big Day of Giving for society looking to raise about $25,000 because we need new equipment. It's pretty antiquated equipment and we need new equipment there. So that's our big event. And then in 2024 is our 70th anniversary. So we will have a big event in the fall of 2024. Obviously, it'll be a fundraising effort. We just recently established an endowment. It's named after one of our longtime board members, Dr. Paul Peterson and his wife, Alice. It's the Peterson Endowment. And that is, again, to have funds available for future growth of programs as well as to establish new programs. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful stuff. And I'm going to have you repeat the details of the event on the 27th in in just a second. What about volunteers? Since we've got somebody's attention as they listen, how does one go about volunteering for Mm -hmm. Society for the Blind? So I would say the easiest way to you know, sign up to volunteer and see what the opportunities would be to go to our website. So www.societyfortheblind.org. There's a volunteer button at the top. Click on that and you can fill it out. We utilize probably 250 plus volunteers a year. The bulk of our volunteers work in our Access News telephone reader program. That is a 24-7 resource for individuals with vision loss and blindness, as well as others who have difficulty reading print. Volunteers read newspaper articles, magazine articles, other publications. So when you're listening, you're hearing a voice like yours and mine and others reading these articles. And so it's a huge phone tree that people can link into. And the great thing about this is you just record it on your smartphone. You send the file over to us. We upload it to the cloud, and then it's available for our listeners to be able to listen to it. And it's of no cost to any of our listeners. Back to the significance of technology. Exactly. It's so exactly. wonderful. One last thing before we conclude, and this is where we can add, add back in the 27th, pertinent information for the organization. If I want to go out and find more, you mentioned the website. Are there any other resources I should be looking for? Is there mm-hmm. Instagram, Facebook, et cetera? Right. Society for the Blind is on Facebook, so you can just search Society for the Blind. Great. And then if you want to talk to somebody, give us a call, 916-452-8271. 
And then if you would like some specific information, you can just email us at info at societyfortheblind.org. And then we'll get back to you with whatever. This, a lot of folks looking for services. That's their initial way of reaching us. And then, of course, our website, societyfortheblind.org. 250 volunteers, almost 6,000 people serve 27 counties in Northern California. Sherry, incredible work. Thank you so much for what you and your team are doing for those who are vision impaired. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Jeff. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Podcast Series. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If what you heard moved you, please reach out to that organization and do what you can to help. If you like and appreciate what we're doing to support local nonprofits, please give us a positive review, subscribe, and share. If you're a nonprofit with an interest in participating in an episode, you can reach us at info at multipointstrategies.com. The Nonprofit Podcast Network is a production of Multipoint Content Strategies and is recorded and edited by Hear Me Now Studio. Thank you.